Hello and welcome to UnGimmick. We are joined today by Alex Moreau, Connor McDonald, Matthew O'Neill, Sanjeev Vinod, and I am your host, Gonzalo Souza. And I'm very happy to say that still we're only in four locations still because Alex is next to me on studio. What a pleasure. Woohoo! <laughs> Gentlemen, we're here for another week, another episode. And this week, Connor brings us uh, our topic. Connor McDonald, tell us a little bit about what we're going to be talking about. So uh, this topic holds quite a, a, a couple different topics within it. And we're going to try to steer it a specific way. But if the conversation gets really interesting, uh, we're just going to go with it. So to me, one of the best parts about being a magician is buying and reading a brand new magic book. Right? There's just something intrinsically... I don't want to say sensational, but there's just something intrinsically sensational about opening up a new book and reading the the magical secrets that lay inside of it. But with that being said, I couldn't tell you how many times that I've seen someone buy a book, read it, and then just place it on the shelf waiting for the next book that they bought in the mail to arrive. And many magicians buy a book just to have them shit on the uh, sit. Oopsies. (laughs) Many magicians buy a book just to have them sit on the shelf and never be touched again, and occasionally never fully read. And I'm guilty of this too, and there are pros and cons to buying a book and reading a new book. But but that's exactly what I want to discuss today. What should the magician value more? A vast library of magic books, or in-depth knowledge of already obtained magic books? Hmm. Okay, Connor, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. So what I'm getting from this is that you're trying to kind of get at the breadth versus depth discussion, where should you be yeah. focusing on a breadth of knowledge or should you be targeting a depth, right? Yes, I, I, I am not saying to stop buying magic books. Uh-huh. We have to support our creators and help the industry. But what I'm saying is, should you get the most mileage out of your book before going out and buying a new one? Interesting. I mean, to pitch in a first opinion, I would say uh, it becomes easy to get to get overwhelmed with breath if you accumulate first, right? We all have those long book lists, those long movie lists, and we're really never going to get to them because they're so long. So you look at you're like, where do I start? Um, but I, th- I, I would say, although I'm definitely guilty of this too, I'm guessing a better approach that I'll try to hold myself to also is get one book at a time, finish it, and then get a new one, whether that's possible or not. It's kind of funny. Sometimes... You can get you well. It's always good to be able to focus on your on your books because get it, and you want to get the maximum mileage out mm-hmm. of it because otherwise it's not you're not maximizing your return on your investment. Mm-hmm. But also, if the opportunity arises, Alex, if the opportunity arises, you might you might want to pick something up. Do you want to maybe you want to tell us about that? Yeah, essentially a crazy chain of opportunities landed me a copy, an original copy, a mint copy of Pure Effect by Darren Brown oh, for dirt cheap. That's so, awesome. so that's the type good. of opportunity you just cannot pass up on. Of that's course. when you buy multiple books. <laughs> that's when you buy multiple books. Um, if I could uh, continue this discussion, I think the problem really falls back on some a problem that is quite normal to magicians is that magicians suck at self-reflection mm-hmm. and uh, don't really understand why they're getting a book and how much I want to make out of it. So I think there's sort of this dichotomy of people that want to get a lot of books but don't realize they're not getting much out of them. And also the opposite of people that have been coveting their two books for the past 20 years. You know, maybe it's time to move on. So I think, yeah, one of the underlying problems here is really understanding how, when to get books, how to study them, and how when to get new ones. 
Yeah, yeah. I think uh, a really important thing to remember is when you're going to go buy a magic book, ask why are you buying this magic book? Are you buying it just because it's a classic magic book like Pure Effect that just if you can get your hands on it, you just got to buy it? Or are you buying it for a specific reason? Are you just buying it to learn a trick or, or, or something along mm. the lines of that? I don't know if um, if you were going to go down this route, but maybe we can figure out some of the reasons that people buy magic books because I can think of a couple. Uh, for example, say I need a specific piece or a specific mm -hmm. move that is only referenced in this book. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna, I might want to get the book because I need to research it and I need to figure out what's going on and figure out the original and also have the rights to be able to perform, perform it by going from the original creator. Or if I just love an artist and mm -hmm. I want their work and I want a whole collection of their work, uh, I, that, that's another route we might go down. So what, mm -hmm. are, what are some of the reasons one might want to buy various types of books? Yeah, I, I would just, uh, what you bring up is very uh, important because not all magic books are the same. Yeah. Uh, magic literature yeah. is, you can't uh, encompass magic literature one block. You have magic books full of theory, you have magic books that are mm. just tricks, you have magic books that are just essays, so you, you, you have a, a, a very vast array of different things that you could buy a book for. Uh, I, as you were saying, if you need that one move that's in that 1982 edition of that, of course, you'll buy it, you'll read those three pages and you'll put it on the shelf because the rest <laughs> might be trash. But I think that... Or not. We're talking, or not. Or not. Or, or you not. might find some, some great gems. But I think what we're talking about is more on the the, the general idea of, uh, of books. When you just, you see that new release, uh, you like the creator, you might not know them uh, very well yet, and you're like, should I buy this uh, and read it from cover to cover? I think that's the, the, the meat of the discussion that we're getting at. Yeah. Interesting. I will say that I think, at least within Magic, this is probably less a problem than it could be, or less a problem compared to other art forms. Uh, because, at least personally from what I've seen, magic books are very, very expensive. They are very expensive. They are very expensive. Um, relative to other books. Alex always looks surprised whenever I say this, but <laughs> to me, magic books are extremely pricey. I would not have bought that Pure Effect for 150 bucks, if you don't mind me saying, Alex. No. Bro, that's uh, such a steal. It normally goes yeah, well, for like 500 cheap for $600. Effect, dollars. It's, it's bro, cheap I mean, for Pure Effect, but it's expensive for a book. Again, I, I'm book, someone yeah. who... Through and so let's school. get back to what Matthew was saying. Why did you buy a book? I did not buy Pure Effect because I wanted to read it. In fact, I already read the book off of someone else's library. Mm -hmm. This is clearly a collection piece more than anything else. Now let's get into more reasons you could get it. One of the reasons would be, hey, I like this creator. I don't know much of this material. Another reason could be, oh, I want to get into something. Coin magic, mentalism, stage, Paul, or anything you want. You want to get more references. Uh, one that is, for me... The most common, and I think for a lot of people, is to just expand your magic knowledge and your magic culture. That's true. So this is quite mm -hmm. important. And lastly, and some a lot of people tend to forget it, some books you read by leisure. Some books are very fun to read, and I'll just give you one off the top of my head. Uh, the Buena Vista Shuffle Club by Matt Baker. It's a super fun book. You read it cover to cover, and it's absolute, an absolute pleasure to read. And if you get no magic out of it, which you will get magic out of it, it's still a great read. So once again, if you if you understand what you're getting it for, I wouldn't. I probably would not spend 150 bucks on such a small book just of normal material from a random guy. But if you're thinking of someone that put 10 years or 15 years into making their original effects, going through the effort of hardcover publishing it, where it's a much easier solution to just put it on the internet and everything. Mm -hmm. Magic books are usually between like 40 and 80 bucks, depending on the size. That's yeah. the range. Then there's like bigger ones from pricey. That's the average course, range is yeah. usually 60 bucks. I think it's so 50, 60. Mm -hmm. 
I, I would argue that is extremely cheap compared to the value for money you're getting out of downloads and everything else. I mean, again, it's it, my, my point wasn't about the value. I think my point is, uh, for example, let's let's consider fiction. Okay, reading, just regular fiction reading is, is a big hobby of mine. And it's very easy for me to hoard fiction books because fiction books uh, in India would convert to like $5 each. Uh, here, where it is uh, overpriced, I think it's around twelve to fourteen dollars. But still, yeah, it's, it's way easier. 20, to, yeah. yeah, I know, it's, but it's still way easier to hoard, right? While magic books, at least the ones that you all have recommended to me, the ones that I really want to read, are from the sixty to one hundred and fifty to three hundred fifty that range. So um, I do find it way harder to, I think, hoard magic books and then not be able to go through them. I think because of that price we might face that problem a little less because we understand oh man i now have to juice 80 dollars of knowledge out of this before i splurge on something else like this again well i think the reason it's expensive is is because what you take from that book is practical stuff that you can that you apply and take away from it say for example a fictional book it's for the most like I don't know if this is true or not. I would say it's entertainment, right? You read a fiction book to fiction entertain yourself. Fiction is entertainment, but even like personal development books, which are personal development, even they are around that. But yes, I think I see where you're going. Go on. Yeah, so, well, the, another another thing I thought I had was, I don't know which side of the argument this uh, idea favors, but to be able to have a list of a bunch of books just to reference. Oh, you know, interesting. I think expanding your library is always nice because, say... You have an idea, you, you buy a book now and you, I guess you can't really do much with it at the moment, but uh, eight months from now you have an idea, it's like, oh, where did I read that? Oh, I remember it was in the book that I had before. Just having that experience to be able to go back to is pretty, it's pretty nice, I think. Well, the thing is, you are, you are buying secrets when you buy a magic book, most yeah. of the time, even yeah. if it be performing secrets or actual like method, you are buying something to obtain for yourself, to help yourself grow. So it's always nice. Uh, personal growth is always a thing and I would support personal growth. You should always be growing. Uh, I just think that it should be like, you should try to limit the amount of books that you buy and get the most that you can out of them. For example, how many, and I, I this is something I'm guilty of, so we're just going to go for it. How many of you own Numonica? How many of you own Numonica? I own Numonica. That's three of us. Gonzalo, do you own it? No. No, no, I don't own. No, the book. okay, no. so that's three. I read of us. it, but no. I don't own the book. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay, so how many of you? How many of you have tried to learn it? How many of you have tried? Have, have you read the book and tried yeah. to learn it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, that's all, all of us. us wow. Our hands, okay, and how many of us it. actually use it and perform it? Yeah, that would Two be people. very like, rare. Like consistently, consistently. <laughs> I shouldn't even put my hand up to be honest. Yeah. Like, and I'm I I've learned it and I I practice it for a while and I tried to use it a couple times and then I just just kind of let it go. Right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so and that's for, something I'm super for all our listeners, we had five people raising their hands, and they have started their study of mnemonica, and two people uh, kept their hands raised for when actually they were using in the uh, mnemonica on performance. I mean, to be the fair, next episode is going to be like Alex, why you should learn mnemonica. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to be fair, I think the book mnemonica, at least, and here's another topic that we can get to is sometimes takeaways might not be explicit where even though the book is on the mnemonica stack itself and it has specific tricks uh, structured with that stack, to me, the lessons I took from that, I use a different stack, um, which I will not name because I like to keep it to myself. But all the lessons <laughs> that I've learned from that book, I can now apply to creating my own routines and, and treating stack as a tool. At least that's how I view it. And so I think 
even despite not using the Monica, despite not directly using those routines, I think the value from that book really persists through my magic career. I would absolutely agree. And I think there's something I did not like that you said, but I think you got it up nicely. <laughs> you said, oh, now I need to juice $80 worth of material out of this. I think that's a very wrong approach. And I'm mm -hmm. sure you said it for the joke and you don't mean it. But if you're listening to us and you're just trying to get your value for money out of every magic product you're buying, you're probably doing it wrong. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. And in terms of like juicing, quote unquote, uh, books, there it's quite naturally there are books you're going to juice a lot more out of than others. Some you just don't read and you read cover to cover. A couple of things got your attention. We're not you know, too fond of maybe the style, you know, especially for card handling. Some people are a lot more, you know, maybe more on the loose side of a lot of color, a lot of throwing things around. Maybe others, you know, I'm thinking of the old magic books with like a lot of biddle moves that you're holding and yeah, twisting things. Yeah. And, you know, that's not something that I'm particularly interested in. So I would probably read the book cover to cover, write down the things in my takeaways, maybe the techniques I like, the mm -hmm. psychological subtleties in there. And move on. Now, there are some books I'm probably going to read six, seven, eight times. And Mnemonica is definitely one of them. So, it's, it's, I think it's a little too easy to say how much you want to make out of every book you have. Well, I would argue how much you want to make out of each book you have. Interesting. Yeah. I, I like the way you said it. I think Ken Weber uh, in Maximum Entertainment, uh, either in the first chapter or the introduction, he put it in a way that that's really stuck with me, where... Some stuff in the book you might already be familiar with. It might be like telling you things that you already know. But unless you read through all of it, you aren't going to find the gems. And I think that's why there's not really a, a possibility for a direct correlation between monetary value and something as intangible as knowledge. There's not really a metric for it. Uh, so I like that. I think, I think you have to take that jump when you invest in something as intangible as the knowledge in a magic book. And it will be worth it because I think... Again, some, some books you might not get as much as you want out of. Some books you might get way more than you bargained for. And worrying about that, I think, is just unproductive. It's also because investment is personal. Uh, if the yeah, book true. that I, I, I can buy a book and spend my $80 on that book and come to you, Sanjeev, and say, oh my God, it was $80, but I would have paid $500 for the yeah. amount of knowledge that I got out of it. Mm -hmm. And then you go all happy with your $80. I'm like, oh, this is a great investment. Mm -hmm. And you read it, and you're like, this is yeah. Like, I get yeah. nothing out of this. Because it's... Uh, so then... It's, it's harder to quantify from person to person. I think then you have to do a personal evaluation. And it's also like personally, for some people, depending on your investment in magic, if your magic is the most, the, the thing you do in your life, apart from your, your job, or even if it is your job, spending $300 on magic books or props even, Mm -hmm. is, is not that big of a deal. If you're just a hobbyist that does, you know, performs once, once yeah. a year for Thanksgiving, mm -hmm. spending, you know, books of $100, $150 every couple of months is completely out of the picture. Mm -hmm. So you also have to be honest with yourself. Here, am I buying, is this entertainment? Is this sort of something I want to learn from? And from there, it's okay. Like a collector is going to pay thousands of dollars for original copies of books. If you ask your random magic convention attendee, do you want to buy this original copy of this ancient unfindable book for $2,000? They're mm -hmm. going to laugh at you. Yeah. So there's also that to take into account. Yeah. Uh, this kind of touches back at something we had just barely got off topic with. But I think a good example of a book that you buy for just personal growth. And uh, even though some of the stuff you just might not perform, you just buy it anyway. And you make it work because it helps you see things from a different perspective. Is the Holy Bible itself... The Darkest Corners. I think that book is a perfect... <laughs> you have to say expert card technique there. Yeah. No, it's, the darkest it's a great example. Well, I think a lot of books are great examples, but go ahead. you can go ahead, yeah. 
most card practitioners have a copy of expert card technique in their libraries and i would expert card technique expert of the card table mm -hmm. and you know, a lot of people have like the card college and stuff like that most people have not read those books cover to cover and i would argue uh reading expert uh expert of the card table cover to cover is a pretty dumb use of your time Mm -hmm. uh, it's definitely a reference book and something for culture. And if you need like a variation on the bottom part, then you do an action of a spread. I'm, I've, I've literally <laughs> named this all the top of my head. I'm sure if I go get my copy right now, it's somewhere in there. <laughs> so also, some so you have different ways of appreciating those books. It's like a dictionary. You know, you don't you don't read it to cover to cover. You go exactly. when you need Bobos. to reference specific things. Interesting. Also Bobos for too. coins. A Thirty Cents of Mentalism by Corinda for Mentalism, and uh, Expert Card Technique for um, Card Magic. Matt, were you going to say something? Oh, yes, I was going to say something. So I was going to say, wow, I lost my train of thought. No, I didn't. Okay. Um, considering the bell curve of magicians, essentially, you could take a big chunk of them who probably don't read books at all. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. And they, there's wow, a saying, if you, wanna, if you want to hide, if you want to hide something you published, put it in a book, <laughs> right? Because then only the the people who invest in the book are going to be able to find that gem because they have to read the whole book to be able to find that little gem that you care about. Interesting. I mean, I didn't, I've been magic, what, like five years now, four, four years. I didn't start reading. I did not buy my first book until darkest corners, which was a couple months ago. And, uh, I think for me, I mean, there were a couple of obstacles. One, I love the point that Alex brought up is context. I was a hobby performer. Yeah, I had just gone to the Magic Castle. I was making no money there because flying to LA cost more than what I was paid for, for a castle brunch. And I wasn't getting paid to perform at parties or anything. So an investment of $60 compared to the $10 downloads that I had slowly convinced my parents to buy, that was suddenly a really big jump. Um, but the investment has been worth it, I think, for a counterintuitive reason. For me, the essays. I love essays. Essays are just great. I think to me that they're a peek into how a magician thinks and that's the sort of insight that you don't see discussion on much we we have a fetish for tricks we we love throw, tossing them around tricks for you tricks for me whatever learn as many as possible but uh, that thought process to me is the most valuable because it provides a new perspective one which we might not get from another youtube tutorial on the double lift it definitely expands your mind yeah i would like to touch on what you said about a lot of people not reading matthew and I, I find that most people, um, they don't read because for them reading, most, most of what I've heard is, I can't, I can't read, I can't focus on reading. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a cheap excuse. Let's put it that way. And I understand that 20 years ago, magic books were, were a bitch to read. No, mm -hmm. you get your hands on some old books. God, those are really hard to read. But today, a lot of books are super modern, super easy to read, well-illustrated, colored photos. So I think a lot of people are not giving books a free shot. And you know the idea of just forgetting a part of content just because of the medium that's given to you? Mm -hmm. um, it, it's like, wow, how bad is the medium? You realize the medium isn't that bad, and I would argue in most of the cases it's even very beneficial. And I will give you the, just the one main point for me that makes books a wonderful medium for um, sharing magic. And it's not a point that's mine, it's been made thousands of times in the magic community, is that with a book, with a download, you see the trick. With a book, you imagine the trick. So you imagine your own way of doing it, what you say spontaneously, you imagine the beats, how the rhythm would go for you, and it allows to make, to make things go through an extra lens of perception, which is yours. So I would definitely appreciate it. And I would just like to close this first part by telling a little story. I was encouraged by Gonzalo here to do it. So the way I got my hands on Pure Effect was... Um, 
I'm going to give, give full chain of events. A couple of people whose judgment I really trust posted on Facebook about a friend of them uh, had a, who had just released a book. And I, I'll just... It's Resigned for Miracles by uh, um, Peter Groening. Peter Groening? I don't... I, Peter Groening. Sorry for the pronunciation of that. And a lot of people were talking about the book. A lot of people whose opinion I trust. I'm like, oh, I like magic books. I, I'm ready to invest that money. So I called the Magic Apple. I happened to be here in LA. Say, oh, I just happen to have a copy. So that very day, we're like, oh, let's go to the Apple, get a copy. We get the copy. And every time I go to a magic shop, I read off of the um, list of secondhand books they own. And you we go never through, know, right? Exactly. <laughs> there are a lot of good pearls in there. Like, here's a, a tip for everyone listening. <laughs> and... And I just sort of read in diagonal, and my eye catches on Darren. I'm like, oh, you know, not many Darren's in magic, and I like the ones that I know. <laughs> so let's go down and check line by line, and there it is. There's Darren Brown, Pure Magic, for 150 bucks. And a lot of, like, things are crossed, but that is not crossed. So I'm like, oh, damn. I go skimming through the library looking for it and can't find it. And, uh, and the guys from the shop were dealing with another customer, so I'm like, oh, you know what? someone probably grabbed it. I mean, it's it's a bargain for what it is. A lot of people are seeking out for this book. It's probably gone. But you know what? Let's give it a shot. So I wish for him to be done with the other customers. And I'm like, hey, um, I probably know the answer to this, but by any chance, do you happen to have that copy of Pure Effect that is listed? And he's like, oh, yeah, we do. We just keep it in the back so that not any idiot that reads the name can just walk away, walk away with it. And I think that is that is a perfect metaphor for what books are. If you're willing to put in the effort to just literally read things that are put put on the wall, you get so much out of it. So that I would say that's a nice little lesson. There's probably some a thing or two to learn there. So apply that to your knowledge of books and really try to skim every line. Some books you won't like. Most books you'll be at least okay with, and some books you're absolutely adore and will become references for the rest of your magic career. Well, thank you for sharing story, that story, actually. Alex. Um, yeah, and it's uh, it was incredible to see. I, I was with Alex. I've been his personal chauffeur around LA. <laughs> so it was it's his eyes just lit up when when that copy came out from there. <laughs> uh, but yes, gentlemen, we've reached our halfway point. Uh, we're gonna take our little break. Uh, this is my time to tell everybody to go follow us on the socials. But today I'm going to take an extra uh, 20 seconds to give a little thank you. Uh, because the work that has been put into the socials is immense, uh, and Connor McDonald is our social media manager. Uh, and this is uh, extra, extra thing. Go check out our social media, because we have new things coming on our social media. We have little extras uh, of episodes. We have new photos. And speaking of photos, I want to do an on-air uh, thank you to Lauren, who served as our photographer uh, in, a, in a photo shoot that we did. Um, so the, all the thank yous are now in order. Uh, so yes, if you want to check those out, uh, you have to go on Instagram at ungimmick, uh, to listen to this podcast. You're already listening to it. If you can listen to my voice right now. So you're doing a great job, but if you're unhappy with your <laughs> podcast provider, change to the other one. We're also on there and we're on youtube.com slash ungimmick. Uh, if you love the work that we do, uh, we keep trying to, to innovate and make this uh, bigger and better. Uh, come support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash ungimmick. Uh, and share this uh, podcast with a friend, a fellow magician, a fellow artist, a fellow creator, or a fellow driver that has nothing to do on their way home or to work. And they can listen to us. So we also have a breather crimp to go to. almost forgot that. And this week's breather crimp is for Alex Moreau to present. Yes, sir. 
So, in light of, um, very recently, we had a trailer pop up for something called Magic Camp, which is, I believe, a, it's a film or a series that's produced by Disney+. And that put a lot of attention on, well, a lot. Comparatively to what we have usually, a decent amount of attention on the world of magic, and has sparked a tiny bit of a debate, which I honestly don't really care for. Um, but, that made me think of what public perception of magic, like, when has magic been put on the forefront? And here, I want to take a moment to talk about our friend, James Randi. James Randi uh, was a magician, but then spent most of his um, most of his career uh, trying to debunk psychics and all the people who prey on vulnerable people by pretending to have powers they actually don't. And he famously had the one million dollar challenge, where he would challenge anyone openly to just walk up to his institution, knock on the door, show them something, let them have uh, multiple takes and everything, and if they there was no rational explanation to it, they would walk out of that door with a million dollars. Not only did no one succeed, no one tried. And Randy was like, you know, even if there was a slim chance this were possible, I think we'd have people lined up in front of the door to make it. So Randy was a phenomenal speaker, a great thinker. He was a very entertaining person on stage, even when he was not doing magic. And most of what he did is available completely for free on YouTube. So go on YouTube, type James Randy. That is James, I'm pretty sure you know how to spell that. Randy is R-A-N-D-I. And you'll have a lot of fun listening to him talk from his conferences, his performances, his debunks. So just have fun with that and uh, honor the legacy of this great man. James Randy. Definitely go check him out. Just as a little closer from the first half, uh, you were talking about the, the books and how you how reading the books is different from, from the downloads. Uh, when we keep talking about originality and making magic more you. That's the title of one of our episodes. Reading a book as opposed to seeing that download is the first step to do that. As you're saying, when you're reading it, if there are no pictures, or even if there are pictures, those are frames. You mm -hmm. have to fill in the middle. So you're, you're automatically making uh, the magic that you're learning more suited to yourself by reading the book instead of watching that download of how the creator envisioned it which will certainly be different uh, than you. Yeah, really quickly on that, if you watch a download, you you might be inclined to perform it exactly as the way you see it in the performance video. Yeah, if yeah. it's slightly more, not vague, but like you could much more easily interchange all of the, everything that you say to fit with your own personality. But that requires effort. And I think people can Does refer to our effort. scripting magic episode to realize people <laughs> to don't like putting effort into scripting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had a quick question. I'm going to ask this to Connor because I know you have a plan for how you want this episode to go. So okay. do we have a moment to take a tangent and talk about how we read books? Uh, we can. Uh, I mean, let's go for it. If we got a few minutes, we can quickly just kind of discuss that and how we, how we personally, like the ungimmicked guys, re thanks, read thanks, books. Matt. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, mean, I think all of us is a great place to start. For example, I... Um, I don't highlight my, except in some books, it's a rule I break for myself a lot. Um, I don't annotate on the book, but I, I keep a computer now with a notes app just open. And whenever something stands out that I like, I just write it down, whether it's a summary of an idea, whether it's a specific quote, or in the case of a magic book, if it's a specific piece that I want to revisit. And uh, I usually use Google Keep because it's very easy to access on my phone. Recently, I've gravitated over to Notion, which is great. And now that's a, a center place where I can now consolidate notes from all the books in my library and revisit at any point, add notes to share with other people. 
So what are your guys' processes for when you read? Well, when I read a magic book, I, uh, what I do is I'll read it. And if I see something interesting, like a quote or a specific page that I like mm -hmm. or uh, some sort of trick, I'll write it down in my phone on my notes on my phone. I'll title it, whatever the title of the book is. I'll write it down on my notes. And then as soon as I, when I finish the book all the way through, I'll take my phone and I'll take my notebook and I'll transfer my notes from my phone to my notebook. So I go back and revisit everything that I liked and wrote on in my notes and I nice. write it one, I write it again. So it reinforces it in my brain. And two, I just remember the things that in the beginning that I may have forgotten about. That's what I do. My first step in, in the magic books, I always read the index. That's my first thing. Whoa, uh, explain. Yes. Index uh, is my, the first thing I read. I familiarize myself with what the book's going to contain. Uh, no, to know the structure as well. Is this going to be trick, 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 essay, trick, 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 trick. <laughs> that, and I'll, I'll say as well, that that's, uh, it's not as cool. It's not what I really like the essays, uh, just like you were saying, Sanjeev. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's, it's much more fun if, if you have a, a bigger collection of those. But it helps Wait, me get a grasp. Like yes. table of contents, index, what were you referring to? That's oh, uh, table of contents, is that, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, I just wanted to make thing. sure I, yeah. Go, yes, go the, whatever tells you the pages yeah. and the titles. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was an index. Um, if it's yeah. a table of that, table of contents. An index uh, is in that... your pocket, Gonzalo. <laughs> <laughs> or in his jacket now. Yeah. <laughs> no, go but on. that helps, that helps uh, give me that understanding of what, what am I going to read? What am I going to study? Uh, focus on the things that I that I may want to focus. Maybe start with this essay. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, scripting magic. I opened it up and I was like, oh, there's an essay with Jonathan Levitt. Yeah. Well, that's the first thing I'll do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and, then, and then, okay, back to the start. Now we'll go in order. Um, so that's, that's w one tip that I might give out. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, people, people disagree with this. Honestly, I disagree with myself doing this because it probably isn't the right way to do it. But personally, I read the table of contents and sort of find the titles that I find the most interesting and start with that. And I'll find maybe two, three, four things that just grab my eye and get me really, really interested. And then I will eventually hit every point in the entire book. But unless it's, unless it's uh, heavy theory, if it's, if it's a lot of effects in there, I generally don't read books linearly. Interesting. No, there, there's no way if, if you want to, if you start reading the art of astonishment from cover to cover, uh, it's it's not to me it's not possible. As yeah. much as I love Paul Harris. Well, I guess it's my experience left. <laughs> uh, the magic encyclopedia himself. No, no, no. <laughs> um, what I do is I first of all I categorize the books. I categorize them from my prior knowledge of the author, of the general opinion of the book of the people around me. And third, of, um, third um, the beginning of the book. I always start with the beginning and I read 10 to 15 pages. And from then I have a good idea of, of like the rhythm of the book, how things are. Uh, first things, I will always read the essays linearly. So I'll never jump from a, an essay later without even a previous. Because a lot of time, the there's a reason why the books have constructed those that way. And the author probably put a lot of thought to what to put first. I think mm -hmm. there's a reason to that. So I usually try to enjoy those in the right order. Then... Depending on the category of, uh, of the book, if um, the style is very pleasant to read, so not only in the style, but also like in the font, the way the pages are made, so a lot of books I will read cover to cover. Then there are the bigger books. And from there, I will always skim through everything first. So skim through all the effects and read all the essays, read completely all the essays. So I would read usually like the effect and like the base of the method and the setup. 
and just get quick notes of things I like and I will just write them on a notes app. I will read the essays fully. So that first read I usually do in one sitting or two depending on the size of the book. Then I will go back and read specifically every effect. I'm putting a lot more effort into those I noticed at first. Then what do I do? I take little post-its and I rip them and I write what I have like a little like index system Mm-hmm. Where there is effects, there is line, there is concepts, there's like an A, a C, all the different letters. And I put those post-its in the book. So that's usually for bigger books. So typically my copy of Mnemonica is absolutely jumbled with post-its that are going up from the pages. <laughs> so that's really useful for books you're going to reference a lot. Like I think Mnemonica is the perfect example. And yeah, and then it sort of depends on the vibe of the book. But I like reading cover to cover uh, most of the time. But it's all, I, I understand that I have a higher like, um, a higher like a resistance rate to, um, to just reading magic literature. Than most people. And there you go, listener. Practical information from five different members of Vengimic on how to read there magic books. Thank you, Gonzalo. <laughs> if you were ever wondering. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Connor, uh, I'm going to bring it back to you. So, uh, before we went on break for with the breather crimp and our plugs, Alex was talking about the DVD versus the book and how it kind of ends up boiling down to laziness. And uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that. So I don't think it's, it's not from Magic in Mind because Magic in Mind is a PDF that has a bunch of essays in it, but Darwin Ortiz has an essay in there uh, and he calls it the next book syndrome. And this is where the magician is always looking for the next powerful yet easy secret that will take his or her career to the new, the next level. However, once the magician reads the book that they've been waiting for in the mail, they are inevitably disappointed to find that hard work and dedication is needed to do the effects. (laughs) So the magician is off to the next book, hoping that the next set of secrets holds the one that will solve all of their problems. That's just a summary of kind of what the essay was about. It goes back to the fact that we're lazy. Yeah, and I think that's that's what I want to talk about. I think magicians don't realize, like... One, uh, they don't realize how powerful the knowledge that they already have is. Or, uh, uh, Gonzalo said it really well when we talked about it earlier. How did you word it, Gonzalo? Uh, I, I'm, I don't know exactly what I said. <laughs> no, but this comes back, <laughs> this comes back to, to the root of the name of this podcast, right? Ungimmicked. Three, like we're, we're, when we talk about downloads, but we'll apply it to books. 360 degrees, no setup, no do, no work, no nothing. Just out of the box. Do it. Bam! I guess that expectation, it could still be there with books. As soon as you get the book, you just need to read it. And now, boom, I got the knowledge. I'm a better performer. Real quick. Interesting idea. Go ahead. Okay, okay. Interesting idea is that if, since magic books are harder, like harder to read than a download, obviously, do people think putting the effort into reading the magic book is enough? So if they, they don't want to put in the practice after doing it, because... Did that make sense at all? No, no. actually. Say, say, it oh, again, okay. say it again. Say it again. They, magic books are harder to read, obviously, than downloads, right? Yes. So yeah, because you don't read downloads. Well, to, harder to consume than downloads. Yes. You yeah. know what I meant. Absolutely, yeah, I do. And, <laughs> yeah, nice, right? So this this hypothetical lazy performer that Connor brought up is if they read put in the effort to read the magic book, then they'll feel like oh the effort is done. Therefore, they get disappointed, as you were saying, with having to put the practice into it because they thought, oh, if I already put the effort, then I shouldn't have to put more. This isn't worth it. Mm. Yeah. And 
There is, in fact, I like, I think Connor brought a great, a great point and Darwin Ortiz says it wonderfully. And essentially, if you had to boil it down to one line, it's the perfect secret doesn't exist. So it's, it's on you to, to make that secret better. And, you know, a lot of people who have came up with some absolute wonderful stuff, legendary material, championship winning magic is usually like fairly basic known concepts from people that they just push their absolute limits and they're still pushing to this day as we're talking right now. Now, let's get back to the discussion between like sort of downloads and videos against books, which I think is a stupid discussion because they both have advantages. But a lot of people who are trying to push downloads specifically, and I'm going to focus more on that because I'm definitely on the book side. So I'm just, I'm just sort of listing out what I hear a lot from people trying to say, oh, you, you know, it's cringe. You still read books. Um, just everything you talk about regarding books, all these questions like, oh, should you, should you have a lot, should you have not much, should you have, how much things should you buy, just take all of those questions and replace the word book by the word video or download, and I don't understand why pe people's responses change so drastically. Okay, let's take the, the theme of this podcast, should you collect a lot of downloads, or should you collect scarce downloads and push them to the limit, where suddenly the debate changes radically when you talk to some people, when it's essentially the same thing, it's just the medium that changes, and I understand that that in that has consequences, but they're pretty minor in the end. And suddenly people are like, oh, no, 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 uh, books don't buy so many, just buy a couple and milk them. And you just watch their hard drive and there's like 300 gigs of unused magic. Mm -hmm. So I think there's also a double standard to books. Unfortunately, they got a really bad rep at some point, which I think was deserved because books were insane to read, that they're really like paying off, that we're paying now, if I, that makes sense. I would just want to... Couple of caveats. First is there's uh, a whole possible discussion on piracy with books that I don't think we should bother getting into this episode. But I think it's really important to acknowledge that that's a thing. And uh, someone, I want to say it was the jerks, uh, put it really well that magicians have a tendency to assess the value of a piece of information based on its monetary cost. Where just for example, the jerks might have some great material on his blog for free, yeah, and we might definitely. consider that very trivial in comparison with uh, a download that sells that same secret for for thirty bucks. And the other caveat is, I think it is still important to acknowledge our places of privilege here. Where I think it would be a little oversimplifying to 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 dilute the choice of not buying books to simply laziness, because again. For the hobbyist, books are not affordable. Yes, I, I, I will stand by that. For the, for the hobbyist, especially especially at, at my age, when, when I started magic, is end of high school, uh, no, I didn't have a, a, a piggy bank. I didn't have pocket change. I wasn't doing paid gigs. And I think it's important to acknowledge that books will 100% augment your craft. They will definitely make you better. Um, but it is okay to put it off in your magic career until a point where you can stably afford it. I think it is possible to go a few years just learning with every method that you can without trying to pour money into the craft. And then when you're at a level where you need to level up, now at that point, I think it's important to dive into getting books without hesitation because that is necessary. That's where knowledge, I think, is crystallized. So I think that's just a, a thing that we that needs to be said. Yes. For the hobbyist, not only... not. Uh, not affordable, but also possibly just generally not worth it. Maybe, yeah. Because, because I mean, for the price, what they're getting out of it might not be worth for the types of performances they do, considering most of them would be uh, very intermittent and casual. Mm, that's fair. Good point. I didn't think of that. Before I pass it to you, Connor, because we are nearing uh, the end 
uh, Sanjeev, you were touching on the um, uh, the fact that it's just the, the the jerks saying that if content's for free, maybe it's devalued. I was just reading a post that he made the other day, mm-hmm. uh, and mm-hmm. Andy was talking about exactly that. He and he made a a, a little joke he saying, does. "If I sold this for seven hundred and fifty dollars, uh, you would see the uh, performances of this in the in the parlor of the Magic Castle until the sea swallowed Hollywood." <laughs> and it's like, just yep. because he has it there for free, now people are like. It's really good, though. Read that blog post. Yeah. There's also a double standard. I I really agree with what you said, Sanjeev, that it might not be affordable. But then most people that are like, oh, there's no way I'm investing $50 in a book have already spent like, you know, eight, ten dollar downloads in the past two months. That's dumb. So that's dumb. So I I completely agree with the fact that getting a $50 book is not easy for everyone. But if you're getting a lot of downloads, that is no longer an excuse you get to use. (laughs) 100%. Of course. Well, uh... I guess I'll kind of try to wrap up my little final points. Is that okay with everyone? Yes, sir. Yes, where we are unfortunately at t- like every week. We're like, we, we always say 45 uh-huh. minutes, but it's never enough. <laughs> it really never isn't. Enough. Um, yeah, I think do, this is just kind of what I've, what I've gathered from this conversation. Uh, ma- buying magic books obviously is not easy for everyone. You know, everyone has their own circumstance. Some people have a job. Some people don't. Some people, it's just for a hobby. It's not worth it to everyone uh, to buy magic books or magic downloads for that uh, for that manner. It's um, But I think what's important to remember is if you are going to buy a download or a book, know why you're buying it. Mm-hmm. Think about why you're buying it. Are you buying it because you're a hobbyist and you just – because uh, you're a hobbyist and you need something from here? Are you buying it because you like the history? You're a historian kind of? And just want to read about this specific author uh know your intent on why you're buying a magic book uh sometimes they can be expensive and that's okay to put in a pretty penny if you're gonna do it um i can't read my own writing here so that kind of sucks but uh oh <laughs> put your own value to the book you know think about uh, oh here it is that's what i wrote uh Know your resources and how you value your resources for example with the jerks you know jerks is free yeah. But then again, the, the the philosophy and the material that you can get from here is well beyond any sort of uh, amount of money that you can buy. And yet it's not utilized as much by as many people. So put your own value to it and value your own time because that's the time that you're going to be putting in. Final thoughts? Gentlemen, said it perfect. Uh, Gentlemen. <laughs> before we end, yeah. we have an table. assembly this week. I'm passing it to Mr. O'Neill. Yes, sir. All right. Here, this discussion was really heavily around books, and I started reading a lot more books recently, not just magic books, but a lot of uh, fiction literature. And me trying to get in touch with my my Russian roots, I started reading a bunch of classic Russian literature. Um, The beautiful thing about these books is that, say, compared to like Netflix or a movie or something, instead of it happening in front of you, it's happening inside of you. And you feel it in a different way, which I love. And a book I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommend is uh, A Day in the Life of Ivan Denisovich. And I don't know who th- those who have read it. Have, have you guys read that book? It was assigned to me in high school, so no, I did not read it. <laughs> <laughs> it, is, it is heavy. It is phenomenal. It is some of the best writing you, you'll ever read. It is just... And it's a breeze, too. It goes by super fast. Books are hard to start. But once you get going, it's just, it's it's a masterpiece. And I, I'd recommend everyone to just at least give it a try. Thank you, Matthew. Uh, and thank you, gentlemen, because this will be the end of another podcast. 
Thank you for joining us. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for being on that side. Come follow us on the socials. Uh, give a lot of love to Connor McDonald there. Mm-hmm. And uh, tune in next week for another episode. Uh, we were joined today by Alex Moreau, Connor McDonald, Matthew O'Neill, Sanjeev Anode. My name is Gonzalo Souza. This was Ungimmick. <laughs>